Team, it hardly seems possible that we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving once again. Do you agree with that? Are you ready for it? Well, some are and some aren't. The first Thanksgiving was observed in the New World in October of 1621. Plymouth Governor William Bradford declared a feast to give thanks to God for the first harvest of the Pilgrim Colony. Massasoit, chief of the Wampanoag, and 90 other tribal leaders were invited to join the 52 pilgrims on a three-day fast. There is actually a contemporary account of the first Thanksgiving written some two months after it. It was written by Edward Winslow, who says, Our corn, by that he means our wheat, did prove well, and God be praised. We had a good increase of Indian corn, and our barley indifferent good, but our peas not worth gathering, for we feared they were sown too late. Some people think peas aren't worth gathering anyway. <laughs> they came up very well and blossomed, but the sun parched them in the blossom. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, that so we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as many fowl as, with a little help beside, served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, many of the Indians coming amongst us, and among the rest their greatest king, Massasoit, with some ninety men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty." It was a couple of hundred years later that Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the first national holiday as a Thanksgiving Day in 1863, actually in the middle, as you know, of the Civil War. He wrote, the year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are so extraordinary in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. Lincoln continues, No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens." And he writes on, that, ladies and gentlemen, was a president of the United States. 
Bradford, Lincoln, and many or most even of the founding fathers express a strong belief in the providence of God in founding this nation and preserving it from its enemies. In his 1789 inaugural address, George Washington, our first president, spoke of, quote, that almighty being whose providential aids can supply every human defect. Again, the words of a president of the United States. Pointing us, the American people, to the providence of God. I want us to think this morning about living on the edge with providence. What do we mean by providence? The word providence comes from the Latin originally. It's the combination of two words, pro, meaning before, and then vidence, which comes from a Latin verb, videre, which means to see. It's where we get our word video. And so it means to see ahead, to see before, and therefore to guide or to manage a process, providence. The dictionary says providence is the omniscient divine directing the universe for the benefit of mankind. Providence concerns God's support, his care and supervision of all creation from the moment of the first creation to all the future into eternity, write some others. I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to see a chapter that deals with providence. It is the ninth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. We see these words in the prayer of the Levites on the occasion of the National Day of Prayer. This text in Nehemiah shows the Jews gathered to reflect upon God's dealings with them as a nation. And in response, they offer their praise to God as well as their confession of their sins. They look about them and they see the situation that they are in as a nation, and it causes them to think upon the providence of God. And today, I invite you to ponder the providence of God yourself. Because when you and I think upon the providence of God, thanksgiving will erupt in our hearts, exalting the glorious name of the Lord. In chapter 9, it says in verse 5, And the Levites, and it names them, said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, and the people stood up, and together they said, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You see, as they begin to think about God's providence upon them as a people, they cannot help but speak praise to God and exalt His character, His name. Now, I would like for you to trace with me the subjects of their contemplation the subjects of their praise to God, and make each of these your own reflection of praise to God. In the first place, they praise God for His providence in creation. 
His providence in creation. Notice verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And so they begin by giving praise and thanksgiving to God for his providence in creation. And they say to him, God, you are the maker, and you are the sustainer of everything, of everything in the visible material creation, and of everything in the heavenly spiritual dimension. You are the maker and the sustainer of all. You give life to everything. This, by the way, is a common cause of thanksgiving to the people of God. Open your Bible to Psalm 104 very quickly and look at this text with me. Psalm 104. I love to hear your Bibles turning. That tells me that you're thinking and you're enjoying the Word of God. Psalm 104. The psalmist says that God provides for all of his creatures here. The psalm reflects something of the order of Genesis chapter 1, but we don't have time to go into that today. In verses 1 through 9, God is praised for his creative power and wisdom. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And on the praise goes through the next verses. And then beginning in verse 9, the psalmist praises God for his intelligent design of the creation. And he parades before us in his words God's creation and how God cares for it, how God planned the earth's ecological systems to provide food and water for the animals and the birds. He says that God causes the grass to grow even in far distant places so that animals of the fields might eat. And he says he gives plants for man's cultivation and food. As your eye goes down through these verses, notice that he talks about the trees and the mountains, the moon and the sun, darkness and sunlight the sea, and its numberless creatures. And he says all of them have a place in God's created order, and God provides for all of them. He makes a summation statement in verse 24 where he says, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And then in verse 27 he says, These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. And you take away their breath and they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and renew the face of the earth. He concludes the psalm by saying, praise the Lord. My friend, the world that you see around us is not here by chance. 
It is here by the intelligent design of its creator. And as we look at this world and admire its beauty and its order, we should reflect thanksgiving to God. He has designed his creation to bring him pleasure and to exalt his name. And so today, on this Sunday of Thanksgiving, we praise God for his providence in all of creation and how he cares for and manages and guides all creatures. But the Jews, as they praise God in Nehemiah 9, do not stop with praising God for his providence in creation. Going back there, you notice that he begins in verse 7 to praise God for his providence in history. His providence in history. And again, let your eyes just flow down through the text. These Levites begin to recount the major periods of their nation's history up to this moment. They begin, of course, with Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. And in verses 7 and 8, they remind themselves that God keeps his promises because he is a righteous God who cannot lie. And then in verses 9 through 12, they reflect upon their ancestors who were led out of Egypt by Moses. And they say in verse 10, God, on that occasion, you made a name for yourself. And they praise him. Then beginning in verse 13, they remember Moses receiving the law at Mount Sinai. And the provision of the bread from heaven and the water from the rock. And despite the golden calf debacle, God provided forgiveness for his people. And he remained with them. He did not abandon them there in the wilderness. They go on now in verse 19 to think about that wilderness wandering, that time of, of uh, God's provision for his people. When he gave his spirit to them, it says, to instruct them. Notice they remember his guidance by the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They remember how God sustained them through that 40 years. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. They remember that God gave them victory over the enemies who tried to block their way, and they named two of the most notorious, Sihon and Og. And they thank God that he multiplied their generations, even as those who had rejected him at Kadesh Barnea died. And those multiplied generations in verse 23 of this prayer, recounting God's providence in history. Those multiplied generations enter the land and conquer it under the leadership of Joshua. God brought them into the land he had promised. And all the possessions that had belonged to the Canaanites became theirs. God gave it to them. And then they remember that sad period that followed as they continue verses 26 and following. As they think about the time of the judges, 
when the people of God were disobedient. And therefore God handed them over to their adversaries who oppressed them. But God graciously gave them deliverers, that is, the judges that are mentioned in the book by that name. In verse 29 and following, they think about the centuries since then, the times of the kings and the prophets of God. They remember these things and how God admonished them when they were stubborn. They acknowledged that they had been stiff-necked, and yet God did not put an end to them. He did not abandon them. What are they doing here? They are giving thanks to God for his providence in the history of their nation. And how that from Abraham's time down to the very day in which they lived, God had overseen them through good and bad, through success and failure, through obedience and disobedience. God had cared for them, and they give him praise for that. This reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said to the Athenians, and I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 17, where we have the record of his great sermon on Mars Hill to the philosophers of Athens. These pagans had scant knowledge of the Bible. They knew little of it. Therefore, Paul begins with what they did know, he references the, the God that uh, was unknown to them. He says, I want to tell you about this God that you don't know about. And so he says in verse 24 of Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands. Athens was, Athens was filled with temples and altars. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else, the providence of God. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them, and the exact places where they should live. You see, the Apostle Paul begins preaching to the pagans of that day the providence of God. Do you know that there was a time when every public school student knew the facts of these verses? There was a time when our culture was aware of the providence of God. We read about it in the documents of our founding fathers. They knew. But that knowledge has been stolen. It has been oppressed. It has been torn out of textbooks and removed from the curricula of our schools and our society. And today, the American people, although by far the majority say they believe in a God, it is an unknown God in essence. We are as ignorant of the God of Acts chapter 17 
as were the Athenians. And our culture today needs to hear again of the providence of God, that he's the maker of heaven and earth, and he determines where people live and how long nations last. It's all in his hands. And he gives to everyone life and breath and everything. It is not of our own doing, nor is it of chance. However you frame it, philosophically or in terms of scientific so-called evolution, this world is not here by chance. It is here by the providence of God. And we can look back in our own national history, if we're honest enough to do so, and we can trace the providence of God in our history. The laying of a foundation for this nation by God-fearing people. How different than what happened, for example, in Australia, where the, the nation was really founded as a penal colony. But in the United States, uh, what became the United States, the New World was, was founded by God-fearing people. What a difference that has made in our nation. And then the founding fathers, leading to revolution and victory over England, something that was impossible, humanly speaking. But God intervened, I believe, for the colonies and gave us these United States. And then they met to formulate a, a means of governing ourselves. And eventually the Constitution was formed. I believe the Constitution, though it doesn't contain the word God, is, is, is woven with the concepts of the Bible. In fact, the, the fact that we have three branches of government comes straight out of Scripture. You can read about it in, in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22, where the founding fathers saw that the Lord is our lawgiver. He is our judge. He is our king. And they took that model of lawgiver, the legislature, the judge, the courts, the king, the executive branch, and they built that into the Constitution. And they put in the Constitution wisely safeguards, checks and balances, because they knew the nature of man. They understood what the Bible teaches about the heart of man, and they knew that government needed to be checked. They wrote it into the Constitution. That's why we need judges today who will interpret the Constitution and not make new laws. I'm not going to go there. I would love to. We can praise God for his providence in the history of our nation. We can praise God for the, the way elections have turned out. Even when our candidate didn't win, God was in his providence working. We can praise God for a third reason, along with the Levites, for creation, for history, and third, for his providence in our own day and in our own lives. 
Notice in the ninth chapter of Nehemiah, these who are praying say, in all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Notice the, that they personalized this. It's not just that God has been with them in history. That's true enough. But they say, Lord, you have been with us today. You are with us now. It has been at this time 140 years since their nation had been overwhelmed by the Babylonians. Generations now had been in exile. And they had come back now to the land to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls of the city here in Nehemiah. And they say, God, you are at work in this. And believe me, Nehemiah recognized it above them all. Go back to chapter 1 for a moment and see how Nehemiah saw it. In chapter 1 and verse 4. In the very beginning, he says, when I heard these things about the, the wall being broken down, he says, I mourned, fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. And what did he pray? Look in verse 11. He says, give your servants success today. What is he saying? He's saying, God, in your providence, be with me in what I am about to do. Then we look into chapter 2 and verse 8. He testifies, Because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. He sees God's providence at work in his life. Look at verse 12. He says, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Nehemiah is saying here, this is not my vision. This is the vision that God has put on my heart. And so he says in verse 18, I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, what the king had said to me. And then he says in verse 20, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. See, Nehemiah is very aware of God's providence in his life. Turn over with me now to chapter 4. And look in verse 14. He says to the people, don't be afraid of them, their enemies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He points them to God. And then in verse 20 he says, our God will fight for us. God had taken them this far, he would take them the rest of the way. Then in chapter 6 and verse 16, at the dedication of the wall, when the wall had been completed, it says at the end of verse 16, they realized that this work had been done, what are the next words? With the help of our God. The providence of God. God's providence was at work in the life of Nehemiah and the people of his day, and I want to say to you that God's providence is no less at work in your life and in our day. And on this Thanksgiving, let us give thanks to God for his providence in our lives, for his faithful provision and superintendence of the life of our church, the life of our families, and our own personal circumstances.
all of them come from God. The successes and the failures, the good things that we've experienced and the sad things that we've experienced, all of them are from God. It is easier to see it in the good things, isn't it? Pastor Dwayne Willis and his wife Janet were traveling on Interstate 94 through Milwaukee, November the 8th, 1994. Six of their nine children were with them in the van as they traveled to see some relatives. But a brace had fallen off a truck and was laying there in the interstate. And the car in front of them swerved. But he knew, the pastor knew as he drove that he could not swerve and miss it. He hit it and it caused the van to slide. But as that piece of steel went underneath the car, it ripped out the gas tank, causing the whole van to burst into flames. Maybe you remember this story. The car skidded to a stop. It was engulfed in flames. Dwayne and his wife Janet were able to get out of the car. Their son Ben, who was at one of the doors, was able to roll out. Some people coming by put their shirts on his body. It was steaming with, with skin that had melted. Ben died later that night in the hospital. But the other five children all died in the fire of that van. And the world listened in astonishment. As this man and his wife said, God knows all of history and time from its beginning to its end. What happened to us wasn't an accident. God is never taken by surprise. God had a purpose for it, probably many purposes. We don't understand God's agenda. As Isaiah says, his ways are not our ways. We asked him for safety, and it didn't turn out that way. But it's in the way God, it's in the way God answers our prayers that we come to understand what God's will is. When all of Job's children were killed, he acknowledged the sovereign control of God behind the evil situation. Job did not say, the Lord gave and Satan took away. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in the heartaches and the sorrows of our lives, God is at work. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy, once wrote in a letter, no man can estimate what is really happening at the present. All we do know, and that to a large extent by direct experience, is that evil labors with vast power and perpetual success in vain, preparing always only the soil for unexpected good to sprout in. I love that. The bottom line, folks, is this. God never fails to keep his promises and to complete his purposes. They are all rooted in his love for you, all of them. 
So what I want to encourage you to do is to live with grateful confidence that God is at work every moment in your life. Because that's what his providence is. It is true for all of creation, it's true of history, but it's true for you personally too. Believe it. Rest upon it. Let it humble you in your successes. Let it support you in your weaknesses. Let it calm you. Let it embolden you. Henry Van Dyke, a pastor and a poet, wrote, Happy and strong and brave shall we be, able to endure all things and to do all things, if we believe that every day, every hour, every moment of our life is in God's hands. Remember that this Thanksgiving. And give thanks to God for his providence. Above all, his providence in giving you a Savior. One who could rescue you from your lostness and your brokenness and your condemnation. Who could forgive you and give you a purpose in life and bring you safely home to heaven. As we give thanks to God this day and through this week of thanksgiving, let us thank God above all for Jesus. And let's pray now in his name. We thank you, Father, for your great providence, which we have seen in your word, which we have seen with our own eyes in the creation, which we have witnessed in history as we have read it and lived it, and which we have experienced in our own lives. We offer our humble thanks to you. My prayer is that this Thanksgiving season we will live boldly and confidently knowing that all that we have and are is in the hands of a faithful God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me here on the platform because we're going to sing together a wonderful hymn, a hymn that is common at any time of year but especially appropriate at Thanksgiving. And I would like for you to sing this out with gusto, with great boldness and faith. Great is thy faithfulness.